Welcome to the Peter Legg Podcast, where you're empowered to lead, inspire, and influence. Now, here's your host and mentor, best-selling author, internationally acclaimed speaker, and community leader, Dr. Peter Legg. The topic today is seniors and mental health. And my guests uh, in name is the Honorable Jennifer Whiteside, who's the MLA for New Westminster, Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Liam McClure, who's the manager of Burnaby Peer Navigator Program, Canadian Mental Health Association. Victoria Wilson, Support and Education Coordinator for the Alzheimer's Society of BC. And Kyoko Tashaki, Interim Shine Manager, Senior Service Society of BC. Folks, thank you so much for being here. Much appreciated. So the start us off, everyone. Um, my colleague identified a very, very nice, impactful video called Restaurant with Mistaken Orders. This is a two-minute video, and we'd like to uh, watch it together to start our conversation. 世界的にも認知症っていうのは誤解されてるとこがあるのかなっていうふうに思うんですけれども、認知症になったら何もできなくなってしまう。で、時に社会から認知症が隔離されてしまう。そうじゃなくて、認知症の人たちと一緒に普
you know, illness or the diagnosis doesn't end his days, he still, you know, will be part of us and uh, we could have provided more meaningful experiences into his daily activities. Uh, that's that's how I thought. And then that's something that I wanted to share with you. So thanks, Peter, for the question. That's my impression. Uh, a standard time table when you are beginning with the dementia, Will it just will it just get worse or does it stop at some point? So um, of course, uh, each person's journey is a little bit different, although there are certain things we can expect to see. And dementia is a progressive illness. So it is a life limiting illness. Um, and the typical progression, although again, it can vary from person to person, is they think typically eight to 10 years. But again, for some people, it can be quite a more rapid progression. And for other people, as Kyoko just explained, um, have a little bit longer of a progression. As Question for Jennifer. Could uh, you share your focus of your work with seniors mental health support in BC and how that works? Yeah, Peter, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for that question. I'd be I'd be happy to. And first, just let me say a uh, big thank you to the Senior Services Society for the invitation to join you this afternoon. And it's terrific to be on with our friends at the Alzheimer's Society and the Canadian Mental Health Association. We work very closely together on um, on, on a number of, of different programs uh, sort of across the mental health and substance use continuum and, and in, specific, uh, in, in, in specific regard to, uh, to older adults as well. And uh, I, I'm joining you today from the traditional territory of the Kakite First Nation in, uh, in New Westminster. Um, and I just wanted to comment on the video as well because I, I was so pleased that uh, Kyoko kind of put that um, put that uh, that story on the table for us to see and to and to reflect on because when I look at the um, the way in which uh, that program really integrates people with dementia into the community retains relationships retains some structure and a sense of normality it doesn't uh, take people who have dementia and kind of you know put them off and isolate them from, from the rest of their community. I think that's such a key, such a key consideration when we're looking at um, how we are building programs and building communities um, that um, have a place for everybody across their whole continuum of life. Uh, my mother also um, had, uh, had, had dementia and had Alzheimer's um, uh, in retrospect for many more years before we really knew that that's what was going on. And that will be a familiar story to, I'm sure to, to Victoria. And um, and she passed away last uh, la last fall, and it was you know it was it was difficult. He, you know the final the final period of her life was uh, was was much more difficult than I wish it was was for her. So, you know I am very uh, very interested and very and uh, in and very very committed to how we can work to improve conditions for uh, seniors uh, as they age in community, as we try to support them to age in place, and it's something that our government is very very committed to. So we work with um, you know, with community partners and with our health system across a range of programs, uh, including you know, for, sort of formal and acute uh, mental health programs for older adults and in New Westminster, we're fortunate to have some of those services available through, uh, through Royal Columbian Hospital, through referral for, for older adults uh, over 65 who are in need of more acute um, mental, health, mental health supports. Of course, we have a specialized senior services um, uh, branch in community health in, in, uh, in New Westminster as well. 
Uh, I'm really pleased about our partnership with uh, with Senior Services Society on the SHINE program, which is a provincial referral system to support um, seniors uh, and organizations who are supporting seniors in other communities access housing. Uh, we work with the Alzheimer's Society and, and, uh, and contribute to the funding for the First Link program, which is really, really critical um, uh, for people who are living with, uh, with dementia and, and Alzheimer's, but also for their family members, for the caregivers who are such an important um, part, of that, part of that journey. Uh, we are making significant investments in better at home, uh, you know, home care uh, supports for uh, for seniors so that we can support people to live um, at home uh, longer. And importantly, also working with municipalities um, through the uh, you know, BC Healthy Communities um, uh, group as well around uh, building age-friendly communities. And here in New Westminster, our, our city has an age-friendly uh, strategic plan about how we're developing our community in New Westminster to be age-friendly, to support people uh, as, they, as they age. And, those include, uh, the, you know, funding for a range of programs around active transportation, around like programming for for older adults. We have Century House here um, as well, which is a really important resource uh, resource for seniors. Uh, the Farmers Market Nutrition Program, a lot of other sort of government programs that aren't necessarily specifically tailored for older adults, but that are important ways to address kind of other issues that also. Uh, seniors experience as they're as they age housing insecurity food insecurity all of those other issues become in some ways just much more acute when um, um, at, at, um, when, when seniors are older and if they're if they're living with with low incomes so lots um, lots of uh, lots of work that we're engaged in um, but but much more work to do as we have an aging population and as we are going to be confronted with some of these uh, these increasingly confronted with some of these challenges about making sure we have places in our communities for People to age successfully um, uh, and, and healthily as as healthily as they can in in their in their own communities. This may be an obvious question, um, or the answers may be obvious, but they're not not necessarily to me. Once once you have this this disease, I'll call it a disease. Is there absolutely no cure whatsoever? Um, certainly for uh, with regards to a cure, unfortunately, there is not a cure for dementia or any type of dementia at this stage. Um, there are, of course, active trials looking in and there are some medications that are available that may, um, they don't treat the disease process that's going on in the background, but they help to manage the symptoms of dementia that some people experience. Although, of course, unfortunately, they're not effective for everyone. So, um, and of course, there's also uh, a lot of non-pharmacological interventions that we try to focus on as well. Okay. Right. And um, to answer the, for oh, sorry, Jennifer, uh, I was going to say to answer the former part of that question um, before um, I, I let you speak uh, is that you had asked, is, is there any dementia um, that um, can be reversible or is kind of non-progressive? And so, uh, that's a, diff a, a little bit of a misnomer to answer. So there is one form of dementia, alcohol-related dementia, where um, if someone is able to participate in alcohol cessation, that they may see some reversible symptoms of that dementia. But for the large majority of dementias, um, they are a progressive life-limiting illness. Sorry, Jennifer. <laughs> well, I, just, I think that's a really important point, Victoria, about the sort of the, the range of um, different kinds of um, 
neurological uh, issues and brain brain injury brain disorders that um, that seniors may experience because you know that you know Alzheimer's and dementia is one piece of it. You know, we also are looking very, uh, very closely and working with our health system and how we better support people who have, uh, you know, acquired brain injury as they are aging as well. Um, and of course, there is, you know, substance use is also uh, an issue for the older adult population. And those are services that we also are, you know, in, are working with health authorities to ensure that we have in place so that um, that folks can be supported through, again, with with whatever um, set of circumstances and conditions and health conditions they come with so that we, those, those, they can be supported through the, through the primary care system as well as they, as they age. Well, this is a question for Kokio. Uh, what, what trend do you see in terms of seniors and mental health issues in your daily work at Senior Service Society of BC? Thank you, Peter, for the question. Um, we, we work with, uh, adults 60 plus through our agency. And I was just looking at some data that we collected for the last three fiscal years, a bit of an analysis. And we, we asked clients whether, you know, they know that they have certain, you know, mental health issues, not necessarily dementia, only other things that they know of that we should be aware of, or, you know, they, they suspect or they are not doing very well. So I may be depressed or I feel really anxious. So very like a voluntary basis, some seniors do share information. So based on those findings and interviews, then I identify that between 2020 and 2021, that's when we had a community lockdown and the seniors were asked to stay at home, don't visit your friend, don't go to grocery store, your doctors don't even invite you for office appointment or telephone appointment. That's the year. We had about 15.5% of our clients said something is not working and my mental health is suffering. That was then. Then the one year forward, 2021 to 2022, things started to open up a little bit. Maybe you can go outside six feet away from your friends, but you can go outside or you can go to grocery shopping during seniors, seniors hours where not a lot of grocery shoppers are there. Do safely, but you can go out a little bit. That's the year, that's 2021 to 2022. Then rate went down to 5.3%. So one third of what we found the previous year. So my, I guess, interpretation is people became optimistic again. Okay, people are coming back to in my life. I can engage my service providers. I can connect with my family and friends. So a bit of an improvement overall experience of mental health. Again, isolation, depression, anxiety are the most you know, common ones that they identified with. Then 2022 to 23, this is the third fiscal year I looked at. For whatever reason, percentage going up again. So I ask my question, I asked question to myself, like, why? Because we are now, COVID is over. We are kind of back to normal. We're doing full range of services. We are, you know, delivering services in person. So why is that? The only possibility that I could maybe point out is related to our other work that we do. We work with folks who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of becoming homelessness or don't have enough income to be able to buy food and buy medication. So I alluded this to something to do with the financial struggles maybe because of the cost went up due to COVID experience. So money is not enough. 
Um, so that could be probably one of the major reasons why people are very slowed down about their daily life and well-being because I don't have enough money. That's not a good feeling for anybody. And then also other things that we hear about is again, housing insecurity, sometimes elder abuse, uh, people financially abused, mentally abused, sometimes physically abused. That doesn't add to a better mental health status. So that's coming to our attention more so than before. And uh, I guess this probably will connect to the next question though, but not everybody's willing to talk about it. We have to really take the time to create really safe, trusting environment or relationship with any of the clients we work with. Then only then do they start sharing a little bit about the personal struggles that's hidden behind their, you know, uh, facade. Then we then we can kind of figure it out what we we need to do to really work with each senior to uh, invite solutions. Is that going to be a referral to uh, Liam Your Society or Victoria Your Society or any, any other tools and programs that we know of to support a senior if we know what's going on behind the scene? So I guess that's maybe just fear of talking about it and being judged or being, you know, that's sometimes still still a stigmatization of speaking about mental health issues in general we see it in our clients as well how, how does mental health stigma affect older people's mental health that's a great question and thanks again peter for having me here it's so nice to be here i think the, the video is a great example of how we can look at stigma and how it affects people and how we can change that i think the video does such a great job of showing how people who might otherwise be put in a box of not able, no longer capable of even being with others in community uh, and you know, with a really serious illness to another frame without as much stigma, being part of the community and, and really integrated in a way that allows them to still be connected with their community members. I think one of the worst things about stigma is how it disconnects us. It either prevents us from accessing services or from feeling like we can talk to someone when we need the support. And in so many ways, it really stops us from finding the support when we need it. And so I think we can look at stigma as a way to, um, you know, as a, as a problem that prevents us from accessing services and think about how we can get more connected. We'll, we'll be in a much better place. Uh, Victoria, um, how about dementia? Uh, can you tell us about living with dementia and to you know the experiences of people living with dementia and the stigmatization that they may face uh you know um we really like to come from a strengths-based approach um, and i think that liam at some point may touch upon this as well um, but certainly it's really important to recognize first and foremost that everyone can do something well and how do we take those strengths to help support those who may be beginning to have more challenges with their memory or uh, daily activities of living to give them purpose and like that video showed and i think many of my panelists here alluded to to ensuring that people have 
purpose and are able to be um, included in society. And unfortunately, we know that for many people living with dementia, that does not happen um, as easily or as freely as we would like. Um, and, you know, even within that statement that I just made, uh, there's a little bit of potential for stigmatization or a lack of understanding, because while most dementias begin with short term memory loss, some forms of dementia actually may begin with communication changes or behavior changes, and then the onset of short term memory loss. And that's something I think that unless you've walked this journey or experienced it yourself, that might not be common knowledge to individuals. When we think of dementia, we just think of that short term memory loss, which surely is a primary symptom for most individuals, but certainly isn't for everyone. Um, and that's something that we often he say here at the Alzheimer's Society of BC. If you've met one person living with dementia, you've met one person living with dementia. And so each person can really have a variety of experiences. And of course, their life experience and their circles of support and what services are available to them may all impact the journey that they're living on uh, or living through. But what we hear for stigmatization in particular with dementia is that often um, people may delay getting a diagnosis because they're fearful of that diagnosis and what they think may or may not change for them or how people um, in, may respond to them with that diagnosis. And so, you know, society for the most part, unfortunately, presumes that a diagnosis of dementia means that that person is no longer capable, that a person can no longer remember anything. Um, they may not be able to live independently. They may not be able to drive a car. Uh, all of these things that, you know, can be so important for the independence and, uh, you know, meaningfulness of an older adult's life. And these things are certainly not true for all individuals at, uh, that are living with dementia. And so um, how we hope to kind of combat, because I certainly don't want to negate the stigmatization that people experience. I don't want to negate the difficulty of the journey that many people experience, but where we also want to focus on is uh, allowing people who are having these experiences to be able to connect to one another um, because individuals living with dementia can lead really rich, wonderful lives. And as their dementia advances, you know, we need to make sure that they're accessing those supports, supports to ensure that they're connected to others in a similar experience. So we do have things such as our early stage support groups for people living with dementia to be able to connect to one another, to be able to speak to their experiences with others who understand. Um, we have our Minds in Motion program, which I'll mention a little bit later. And we also have lived experience webinars, because I think when we're talking about uh, the lived experience of people living with dementia, we also really need to incorporate their voices in that conversation as well. Liam, here's a question for you. What changes do you think are needed to the mental health system to better support older adults? Well, this is a great question. I'd love to hear other panelists' thoughts on this as well, if there's time. There may not be, but uh, one thing that I was thinking about when I started thinking about this question was how much we have a responsibility in community to support people who might not have immediate access to specialists and clinicians. Uh, in our program at the CMHA, 
so frequently that participants and clients we work with aren't able to access the specialists they need right away because there are often very long wait lists. But I think this also points to, as local communities, how we can take the opportunity to support people in a preventative way. And with older adults, a lot of the work I think can be, uh, can be done by checking in and providing mutual aid or support services to seniors before they're in crisis. There's so often, I think, a tendency for us to only help people after they are already in crisis. And when mental health comes up, it's often in the context of real mental illness and those sorts of most significant symptoms. So I, I'm hopeful that as um, our mental health becomes more uh, embedded in the collective consciousness, as we become more aware about it, we can also see our responsibility to our neighbors and to older adults we may share an apartment building with or a community center with as well. Is it possible for an individual to self-diagnose themselves? Well, I think it depends with what, what, what the diagnosis. Often diagnoses are made by specialists, and one of the benefits of that is that it allows you to access a lot of other services. So if you have a specific diagnosis of major depressive disorder, for example, you all of a sudden might become eligible for other services. And with those kinds of diagnoses, you are, are usually required to have it made by a specialist. But I'm sure, you know, in other ways, we diagnose ourselves in, in important ways and also in self-empowering ways, I think, because sometimes we don't have the best experience or we feel like we might have some symptoms of, a, of a, uh, an illness or an, a condition like ADHD. For myself personally, I, I, I've had attention issues for much of my life, but I've never had a formal diagnosis of ADHD, even though I saw a psychiatrist who prescribed me medication for ADHD. So there's a lot of gray area, I think, there. So uh, Victoria, what kind of changes would you like to see to support people with dementia. Yeah, thanks, Peter. And I think uh, Liam had some really great points and Minister Jennifer had spoken to some of the great supports that are already currently available in our communities. Um, and this is just such a large question to, to respond to. And, you know, there are so many great things, but of course, so many changes uh, that are necessary and needed in the ways that um, individuals living with dementia and their care partners are supported and included included in their care. I think that's one of the things first and foremost that we hear often is that um, similarly to kind of I think what Liam was saying or alluding to is that, um, you know, to be a part of that care team and not be kind of dictated to but to be able to be empowered to make those decisions and know what um, options are even a bit available for these individuals. The Alzheimer's Society of Canada helped to support the first ever Canadian Charter of rights for people living with dementia. And so this charter defines seven explicit rights to empower individuals living with dementia or their families to self-advocate as a person living with dementia in Canada. And it also ensures that people and organizations that are working to support you know your rights and will protect your rights. And for some, self-advocacy can be a really large part of their journey, ensuring that they're able to access those supports that they require to live as well as possible. So having organizations adopt this charter um, would allow us to not be the barriers ourselves and allow those monumental step forwards that um, the individuals who are experiencing dementia and their families may be asking for. 
Thank you. Here's a question for Liam and Victoria. Uh, the dementia uh, diagnosis can create loneliness for people, uh, illnesses, uh, also for their family and their caregivers. What can friends and neighbors do to support them better? So one thing that we often hear from individuals living with dementia and their care partners is that friends no longer visit as often as they did, or some of those social connections tend to disappear. You know, of course, this is not the case for everyone, uh, but it is for, for many individuals. And so, you know, friends and neighbors can better inform themselves about dementia, you know, what to expect, maybe learn supportive communication strategies because we can understand when you've always spoken in a certain manner with a friend of 60 years and all of a sudden the the changes of that dialogue or that communication is quite different that it may be a little bit intimidating to approach those conversations not knowing what you should or should not say so you know utilizing the resources that are available from the Alzheimer's Society or other organizations that have this information to empower Empower you to continue to show up for your friends or your neighbors is, is really, really important. Just to say that uh, one thing I would say briefly is just how much I think we need to pay attention to loneliness as a social problem. I, I think it's easy, especially in Vancouver, where social isolation is sort of everywhere, to imagine that people who are lonely um, or our neighbors or community members who are, who are lonely uh, are, do not necessarily need uh, our support. But I think especially when it comes to older adults living with dementia, we really do need to look at loneliness as something that, that is a significant problem and we need to address it. And all the ways that Victoria mentioned it in terms of reaching out and understanding how to communicate with older adults are really essential. And uh, so that's that's the main thing I wanted to add. I think that's such an important point about community connection and um, and really sort of spreading spreading the word. And that's that's why some of the work that we do is with government does is with community partners around age-friendly communities. In New Westminster, we have the New Westminster Arts Council. It's a thriving organization. It works with a variety of different groups in New West and works specifically as well with um, with with older they have programming for for older adults. So any of those things that we can do in community to break down those barriers to break down that isolation is really critical because Liam's point is so important that um, social isolation, I mean, I, you know, community social connections really that is a social determinant of health. And it is becoming increasingly recognized that um, the degree to which um, people are aging in isolation are living alone is um, becoming an increasing sort of challenge in terms of connecting people to healthcare, making sure that they're um, that we're able to intervene kind of upstream and in a preventative way and a supportive way earlier on. Because the earlier we can do that, um, that the better we'll be able to support, uh, you know, to dementia or whatever the whatever the particular kind of mental health issue is. And then I just wanted to say to Victoria's point about, um, you know, that 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 connection within with, with people as their their dementia progresses and they they lose the ability to retain what's happening from from day to day. I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to stay engaged and to to learn to live in the moment. And that's really what what um, my family's dementia uh, journey taught us was that it's really, really important to be, to kind of 
get used to and to get comfortable with being able to live in the moment because you really have to cherish every single and make make the most that you can out of every out of every single moment that's such an important uh, such an important thing to be able to do what do you think viewers can do to help the help this work Thank you, Peter. That's, I was waiting for this question. Yeah, I have few, few suggestions. Yes. Issues. What can they do? So there's some peer support has been mentioned. That's so, so, so important. So if any of the viewers have some lived expertise in mental health realm, and if they wanted to, you know, lend their self-experience to support others with similar experience, please consider volunteering either in your own capacity in your neighborhood or apply for a volunteer position with organizations like CMHA or you know, Alzheimer's Society to sort of you know, support others with similar challenges. And also, I think as we talked about today, I think there's a lot to learn and a lot to be kind of aware of. A lot of new things are coming up. So please be curious and learn and sort of educated about what mental health looks like in your community. And that's gonna give you an edge to be a good neighbor, good friend, good supporter for folks who are living with various different types of challenges. And uh, this, again, I'm gonna go back to the first video. Let's be an active participant in creating a kinder, more patient, gentle society. So the people who have some challenges feel welcomed and still they can continue participating in activities they enjoy. And of course, our organization always welcome financial donation to Peter to continue our work. Thank you. This is um, kind of an open question. Uh, maybe you, you take uh, a couple of seconds each to answer this one, but what can viewers do to help? Well, maybe I can kick that off, Peter, just um, by really reinforcing what um, Kyoko said about being engaged and uh, and looking for opportunities to volunteer and opportunities to advocate. You know, I think that one of the things that COVID really taught us was the importance of community and the importance of everyone kind of working together and having each other's back in community. So, you know, all of those opportunities people took to applaud our healthcare workers and support all, all of our essential workers who were keeping things going for us while we were isolating, uh, folks who, uh, you know, helped with people with, you know, shopping for groceries or did all of, all of those check-ins, all of those things are, are really key in terms of how we build a Build communities and build a social fabric that is a, that recognizes our interdependence. And you know, I I think that that you know of all of the things we want to forget about COVID that were really difficult to live through. I think some of those really community building efforts um, are the things that we should try to hang on to and try to really expand on in these times. Yeah, good answer. And something I would say, which we actually haven't talked much about yet today, but I think is really, really important for this conversation is to take your own wellness into consideration when you're thinking about mental health. Mental health, I think we've become to understand is something that affects us all and, you know, especially people living with mental illness or dementia. But I think especially for those people in caretaker roles or for us as neighbors to be aware that we can really only give as much as we have. And I think for us to take care of our own health and to prioritize wellness in our life, that will actually give us a lot more to give back to others around us. I like that, yes. 
I'll just um, add to what all the pa other panelists have said, but particularly Liam's point of self-care. Um, you know, when we're speaking of dementia, uh, you know, it's certainly the person who's diagnosed, but it's also the entire circle of care around that person who's impacted by that diagnosis. And sometimes with dementia, a person may actually not have insight into the changes or challenges that they're facing. So sometimes it is upon family or friends or neighbors or whomever to really be active participants looking at the changes, monitoring, and then helping to support that person to access services. And so, um, you know, taking care of your own health and well-being while being that active participant um, is, is really, really integral and important. So to that point, we can all, you know, if we focus on not only what we can do for others, um, but what can be done for us as well in that larger ecosystem. I think that that's a really important maybe perspective or mind shift that some of us may need to undertake. Well, I, I can I can sense that this is a, a very difficult, challenging position you're all in uh, because you're dealing with something that um, it, it sounds like it's pretty irreversible. Uh, and so I congratulate you for your energy and your efforts and uh, uh, your wisdom. It's, it's, it's much appreciated. Uh, but I also want to thank the, uh, the sponsors of this podcast, the Senior Service Society of BC, uh, who uh, recognize the importance of this and they want to bring this to the, to the public. And I also want to thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your wisdom, uh, your knowledge uh, and your advice. Um, I'm in uh, my 81st year, and uh, I'm very concerned about what the what the next 10 years might be, uh, and that um, I'm aware of, of all the possible things that could go wrong with me. Um, so thank you so much for your time, for your effort, for your energy, and for your wisdom. Your wisdom is very important, and it's much appreciated. So thank you so much. Thank you, Peter.